And welcome to the Powder Hounds Podcast, a ski trivia podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Shaw. You can follow me on Twitter at PowderHoundSkis. You can also email me at PowderHoundSkiTrivia at gmail.com for comments, questions, or corrections. The 2021-2022 ski season has come to a close, at least in the East. Yes, the beast Killington in Vermont finally closed this past weekend. Their June 4th close date was the resort's latest close since 1997, when they closed on June 22nd. For the lucky few in Colorado, Oregon, or Washington, lifts are still spinning, at least as of this recording, at A-Basin, Timberline, and Crystal, respectively. Since my last turns in April, I've reflected on the past winter season a bit, Well, not completely of my own doing. My inbox is constantly flooded with ski industry season recaps, closing day articles, season pass sale deadlines, and much more. I'm sure yours is too. But I did have a solid season. So in an effort to spread some good vibes in a world desperately in need of as many good vibes as it can get, I'm going to briefly offer an alternative approach to your next winter ski season. This approach enhanced my season in so many ways, and who knows, you may be interested in dabbling the same. Or not, there is no wrong way to go skiing. But I love talking about this stuff, so let's do it. But before that, the music inspiration is Ends of the Earth by Lord Huron, because it's the end of the winter season. But more to the point, there are some clearly unintended ski descriptions buried in those lyrics. Avalanche pun not intended. Here we go. Oh, there's a mountain that no man has mounted. I'm gonna stand on the peak. A literal summit reference. Out there's a land that time don't command. Time, deadlines, appointments, all irrelevant on mountain. Want to be the first to arrive. Pretty sure that's a first tracks reference. No time for pondering why I'm a wandering. Just get outside. And finally, there's a world that was meant for our eyes to see. Expansive views from the summit? I think so. Pretty good, right? Even if you don't think so, I invite you to sit back, kick your feet up, relax, and enjoy the experience of everything skiing and riding. Powder Hounds. Moving on to our first segment, Tips Up. A familiar one, though one that we have not done in a while. Your read, listen, and watch recommendations. Now I'll be honest. 
Only one of these recommendations actually has to do with skiing, but the other two are just kind of interesting or timely. Let's start with that read recommendation that is both interesting and timely. The ESPN article entitled Tom Cruise Runs, But Is He Any Good At It? gives a nod to the sequel of the 1986 blockbuster movie Top Gun, as well as a nod to all of you staying in shape by running this summer for next winter season. The Top Gun sequel, Top Gun Maverick, opened last month, and at 59 years old, Tom Cruise, a.k.a. Captain Pete Mitchell, is not only back, but, quote, Tom Cruise might be the fastest actor ever captured on screen, end quote. Here are a few article teasers. Cruise has ran or sprinted in 44 out of his 52 movies, many of which were in high-octane action sequences. Cruise is known to train relentlessly and extensively for movies, and even voluntarily supervises many of the stunt sequences in his movies. His running style has also evolved over time, as former professional athlete Jackie Joyner-Kersey, interviewed extensively in the article, points out. And finally, while Cruise himself says he's hit 17 miles per hour running, an impartial source clocked him at 15.3 miles per hour. That's really fast. <laughs> so yeah, next time you're out there running all those junk miles to get those legs in shape for the bumps, just know Tom Cruise, even at 59 years old, is probably faster than you. Quick side note, the New York Times Arts and Leisure section published two companion pieces on all things Top Gun in both late May Sunday editions. And if you're still looking, or Jonesin, perhaps is the better word, for more Top Gun, Netflix has a 26-minute and incredibly entertaining episode featuring James Corden going Top Gun with Tom Cruise. You will not be disappointed. Moving on to a listen recommendation. This is a podcast called The Armchair Explorer, the episode was June 2020 Extreme Road Trip, Alaska to Argentina with Dan Grek. Now again, timely in terms of the official start of the summer season may mean a road trip for you. So what better way to kick it off than with this 36-minute listen and just epic tale about driving from Alaska to, you heard that right, Argentina. It took Dan two years across 17 countries covering 40,000 miles in his Jeep. Now there's wonderful life lessons sprinkled in. The earth is moving all the time and so are we as humans. Even though it may not feel like it, thanks to our built environments that we encounter every day. So many memorable quotes, the importance of sharing experiences, but not just with your spouse, your family, your friends, but actually with strangers. Just think about those random rides and conversations on the chairlift with someone you just met, enhancing the overall experience. There's also profound observations, the coexistence of beauty and cruelty in the same place. An example, in Bolivia, the salt flats, unbelievable beauty that can't even be described in words, yet on the other side of that mountainside, just terrible, terrible conditions for the workers in, in the surrounding mines. But bottom line, yes, you can drive from Alaska to Argentina. With one exception, you do have to hitch a ride on a boat with your vehicle from Panama to South America. 
But hey, even if your road trip dreams are not that grandiose, there's plenty of inspiration in this short podcast episode. Finally, a watch recommendation. This is a video, four minute video of a power plant in Denmark that you can ski down. That's right. If you like skiing, if you like clean energy, then the Cathedral of Waste to Energy, Copenhill, is the place for you. Yeah, the trash to heat power plant built a ski slope on the top. Now, if you listen to the last episode with Jamie Schechtman, he talked about this synthetic material that kind of feels like skiing on a toothbrush. It's exactly what they did at Copenhill. I don't know about you, but next time I'm in Copenhagen, I'm definitely going to check out the dry ski slope on the rooftop of a power plant. I hope you had a great winter season. I sure did. So did the industry. As you may have read, the National Ski Areas Association, NSAA, released some compelling figures suggesting skiing is in a surprisingly good place. A few highlights, which I'll expand upon shortly. Skier visits set an all-time high and a new record. More ski areas operated this past winter season than the previous season. Capital investments are projected to reach a record-setting number for the summer construction season. And more season passes were sold in all regions at ski areas of all sizes than what was sold last season. With the good, though, comes the bad. As you may have observed, if not experienced firsthand, Weather-wise, the snowfall was mediocre at best in most places, and there was inconsistent reporting of the goods. Worse, the 2021-2022 season illustrated on social media was nothing but traffic jams, parking woes, comically high ticket window prices, and a lifetime of waiting in lift lines. Now sure, Some ski areas may not have accurately projected the pent-up demand and got pummeled on weekends and holidays with people, many of which were unhappy. Worse, many ski areas could not staff up. Some of it was out of their control, with a limited amount of J1 foreign workers available to get into the country to work. And again, it showed when certain lifts and terrain that should have been open was not. Inconsistent weather exacerbated these issues. But this social media story was not everyone's experience, and thankfully, wasn't mine either. As I probably alluded to during previous episodes, I overhauled my approach to skiing this past winter season. I did not buy a mega pass, and it was the most gratifying, enriching, and memorable ski season of my life. This is not hyperbole. Though mastering the parallel turn as a kiddo while leading a pack of friends down Gum Barrel, the steepest bump trail at Ski Sundown in the great ski state that is Connecticut, was also a pretty great season. This past season was a watershed moment in my ski life because nearly every experience exceeded expectations, exploration, discovery, and satisfaction. It was exciting. I skied 25 different ski areas across six eastern states. Despite 30-plus years on sticks, that is a record number of unique ski areas visited in a single season. Further, I didn't ski the same ski areas twice. That was not intentional per se, rather the result of pursuing the addicting allure of new experiences. Now, my Ski the East upbringing, you know the kind, ski in rain, on ice, 
and equipped with straight skis far too long probably lowers my expectations for what constitutes a good ski day, at least to my family and friends out west. Like, I set my alarm for 4 or 5 a.m. when 6 to 8 inches covered Cranmore in early December, while my buddy in Tahoe chuckled at that and said he would have hit snooze and wobbled over to a boozy brunch instead. Now, snow and the conditions are one half of the ski season equation. The other half is access, i.e. a season pass or lift ticket. It's a whole other thing. Now, a combination of factors enabled my no-season pass, no-mega-pass approach. I maximized experiences regionally by combining frequency passes, discounted lift tickets, and simply finding cheap weekday or evening lift tickets. They do exist, as Santa pointed out in the talking peanut M&M commercial. (laughs) To find the cheap day ticket window price, you just need to do it at the right time, i.e. weekdays, and are flexible on where you ski. I'm sure you're wondering what's the bottom line, dude. So did Sierra Schaefer, editor at Ski Magazine. The back of the napkin math says $593, $249 for a slightly discounted indie pass, just shy of $200 Ski Vermont 4 pass, and nine discount or weekday lift tickets, which came out to about $150. Now, all that was about $200 dollars cheaper than an epic pass or icon base pass sure it's not a set it and forget it season pass but the point is chasing powder in season at a reasonable price does exist a half dozen ski trip loops every two weeks or so with day trips sprinkled in fueled the day's skied long weekend trips allowed discovery of nearby ski areas to one destination mountain I did not appreciate or more accurately lost sight of the wildly different offerings at the 150 or so lift served ski areas that make up my Northeast backyard. Unable to travel out West this past winter season, I traded comfort, familiarity, convenience, and in many cases, companionship to carve out new experience. Ski pun intended. Skiing new to you places or areas that you've not visited in a while, will set off a domino effect of new experiences that will enhance your winter season. You will also support more mountain towns and help ease congestion in overrun areas. It's easy to overlook the dozens and dozens of really cool ski areas just sitting in plain sight. With uniqueness comes surprises. They are all worth a stop. Indeed, somewhere in the far recesses of my mind, those other mountains were calling. I'm glad I answered the proverbial phone. These adventures of bouncing around, partial fish song pun intended, at dozens of mostly new-to-me destinations was incredibly satisfying. The journey was just as memorable as the destination. The majestic views along New York Scenic Route 28 through Frozen Lake Country, cutting through the Mount Washington Valley while passing ski areas along New Hampshire Route 302, and most vividly, watching the thermostat drop from minus two in Burlington, Vermont, to minus 25 degrees while heading south to Middlebury along Vermont Route 7. Indeed, cold air does sink. As you may imagine, the destinations were wildly different, mountain wilderness pun intended, almost done with these puns. To provide a few examples of that range, Saddleback in Maine had a vertical drop of over 2,000 vertical feet, while Macaulay Mountain in New York rocked a super interesting and varied 663 vertical feet of terrain. I wasn't bored that day. 
Jay Peak in Vermont and Cannon Mountain in New Hampshire have aerial trams, the only two in the Northeast for, ski, for my ski trivia faithful, while the base to summit lift at Northeast Slopes in Vermont is a T-bar. The interior of both base lodges at Cochran Ski Area in Vermont and Mohawk Mountain in Connecticut are unofficial museums of the U.S. ski team and early American skiing, respectively. I even chatted briefly with the iconic Birdman at Berkshire East in Massachusetts. Other ski areas on my tour featured youth racing leagues, night skiing, the single chair, rope toes, ski patrol intel, wicket lift tickets, high fives, red, white, and blue painted ice walls in celebration of Team USA, a first chair bell, costume crusaders, tailgating parties, lifty DJs, historical artifacts, and of course, magnificent and expansive views that stop you in your tracks. That was the last ski pun, promise. The uniqueness of each ski area not only enriched my experience, but illustrated the passion, history, beauty, ingenuity, and soul of American skiing. Expectations are a funny thing. On one hand, when expectations are high for an experience, say skiing, more often than not, the activity fails to deliver that sought-after satisfaction. You probably had a good time, but maybe not a great one. On the other hand, when expectations are low, or even better, there are none, the experience is almost always better than imagined, usually stemming from that first positive moment. Like, whoa, got a parking spot in the first row. Sweet, it's going to be a good day. Or, hey, patrol just dropped rope over there. Let's get late morning first tracks. Giving a new-to-you ski area a try will likely exceed your expectations and result in a satisfying day in the slopes. While crowds and conditions are not a fair way to judge a ski area, they vary often and change regularly. Both shape the ski experience. Culture, operations, ease of use, the vibe are the X factors, and a much better means of appreciation and comparison. One observation I failed to appreciate for years was illustrated at Magic Mountain in Vermont and Smuggler's Notch, also in Vermont. While Magic will eventually spin a fixed grip quad, both ski areas operate base to summit double chairs. While many visitors complain about a long ride, the benefits are twofold. First, Low skier density on the slopes means more runs with limited skiers in your line of sight. Better yet, less chance of on-slope collisions. Low skier density is quite noticeable if you're used to the opposite. <laughs> it makes most runs feel like you have the mountain to yourself. Second, a long lift ride either forces conversation or fosters daydreaming. At Magic, I had delightful conversations with strangers on every ride. Casual conversations cover teaching your kid how to ski, satisfying efforts of resurrecting a lost ski area, and the benefits of becoming a volunteer ski patrol. Just skiers talking about their love of skiing. Is there a better X factor? At Smugs, the three of us kept rotating who rode the lift together and who rode solo. I love the solo rides. I also love my friends. But just letting my mind wander into the beautiful abyss that is Mount Mansfield's ridgeline and valley just beautiful. In the end, I realized the old adage is true. Variety is the spice of life. I also understand that it is almost impossible to resist early bird pricing for a season pass. And yes, a mega pass provides value, variety if you can travel, and oh yeah, unlimited skiing in many cases. But you don't have to have one to find new, exciting, and meaningful ski experiences at a reasonable price. All that really matters are the basics, snow on the ground, lift spinning, and embracing the unknown. 
just like those unmarked woods skiers right on your next run down the hill. All right, enough reflection. Let's move on to today's trivia game. The game might have hinted at a little earlier, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yes, at the top of the episode, I was intentionally vague about the NSAA survey results on the 2021-2022 ski season because I want to use those statistics for the trivia game. So you may have played this game before, perhaps in college, though a deck of cards is not required in this version. We begin with the good. This is multiple choice. And I should say, as I do in all trivia games, I will go through the questions once and then go back through revealing each answer. So again, first up, the good multiple choice. The 2021-2022 winter season was a record-setting year for skier visits. How many skier visits were there? 58 million, 61 million, 64 million, or 67 million? Question number two, another good. Also multiple choice. More ski areas operated this past winter season than last season. How many ski areas operated? 462, 467, 473, or 478? Question number three, sticking with the good, also multiple choice. This summer is projected to have the largest capital investment ever assuming all projects go forward, of course, which they probably won't for supply chain issue reasons, weather, permitting delays, you know, that kind of thing. But how much capital investment is projected this summer? 490 million, 585 million, 681 million, or 728 million? Question number four, last good question. This is a guess the number. Season pass sales were strong across regions and at all ski areas regardless of size. What percentage of skier visits were done using season passes? Question number five, we shift to the bad. Multiple choice. This past winter season was a mediocre snow year. What was the average snowfall? 145 inches, 165 inches, 175 inches or 195 inches. Question number six, also bad, also multiple choice. Powder alerts are a common occurrence during the winter season. How late in the day is too late to send a powder alert? 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 11 a.m., or 12 p.m.? And finally, question number seven, ugly. The only ugly question, I should add. Also, also multiple choice. What was the record-setting ticket window price for one day of skiing this winter season? $269, $279, $289, or $299? All right, back to the top. Let's reveal those seven answers. We begin with the good. Question number one, multiple choice. The 2021-2022 winter season was a record-setting year for skier visits. How many skier visits were there? A, 58 million, B, 61 million, C, 64 million, or D, 67 million? The answer, B, 
61 million. That's an increase of 3.5% year over year, despite a mediocre snow year. The West region hit a record 25.2 million skier visits. Visits also increased year over year in the Midwest, Northeast, and the Southwest. You probably noticed. <laughs> now, if you're wondering about the previous record, the record-holding season has long been the 2010-2011 winter season at 60.54 million skier visits, followed by the 2007-2008 and 2009-2010 winter seasons, 60.5 and 59.7 million skier visits, respectively. Question number two, another good and another multiple choice. More ski areas operated this past winter season than last winter season. How many ski areas operated? A, 462, B, 467, C, 473, or D, 478? The answer, C, 473 ski areas. That's, a, that's an increase of 11 ski areas. Yes, despite staffing challenges this season, with approximately 81% of ski areas reporting they were not fully staffed with an average vacancy rate of 75 positions, ironically, more ski areas were able to operate. Now, the 473 figure has been questioned by some. As an example, it was pointed out that a couple ski areas only operated for a couple days, yet they are counted. But regardless of the, the actual number, I saw a great response in this debate. Someone did say, quote, whatever the total ends up being, the number of active ski areas is most certainly trending positive. Amen. Question number three, another good, another multiple choice. This summer is projected to have the largest capital investment ever. How much capital investment is projected this summer? A, 490 million, B, 585 million, C, 681 million, or D, 728 million dollars? Answer, D, 728 million dollars. Yes, as I talked about with Peter Landsman of LiftBlog a few episodes ago, Vale and Altera's plans alone account for 664 million dollars. Let's just hope the supply chain issues, weather delays, and permitting delays just kind of don't happen. Question number four, the last good question. Also, a bit of a trick question. Also, I guess the number question. Season pass sales were strong across regions at all ski areas, regardless of size. What percentage of skier visits were done using season passes? How about 51.9% of visits? I was just as surprised as you might be hearing that. Yeah, day, day tickets accounted for 37.3% of visits. And whether or not you're a CPA, if you're wondering why those numbers don't add up to 100, <laughs> the remainder is made up of off-duty employees or complimentary uh, products, that kind of thing. Question number five, the bad. Multiple choice. This past winter season was a mediocre snow year. What was the average snowfall nationally? 100, A, 145 inches, B, 165 inches, C, 175 inches, or D, 195 inches? The answer, A, 
145 inches. Yes, that's national average, and it's lower than the 10-year average of 166 inches. Question number six. Also bad, and perhaps unfair. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Also multiple choice. Powder alerts are a common occurrence during the winter season. But how late in the day is too late to send a powder alert? A, 9 a.m., B, 10 a.m., C, 11 a.m., or D, 12 p.m.? The answer? C, 11 a.m. I apologize in advance, but one of my favorite ski area associations tended to send their powder alerts super late, one of which was after 11 a.m., and I just kind of wrestled with why it wasn't sent earlier, and it just stayed with me all winter season, so I kind of felt this was the only venue to air the grievance, but because I do have a fond affection for said ski area association, I'm going to leave it anonymous. Question number seven, the ugly. The only ugly and multiple choice. What was the record-setting ticket window price for one day of skiing this past winter season? A, $269, B, $279, C, $289, or D, $299? The answer, A, thank the Lord, $269. (laughs) And bonus, I guess bonus points, do you know where that Ticket window price debuted? That would be in Colorado. Not off I-70. Yes, that would be Steamboat. $269 day ticket. It was a peak period, and they do have variable pricing. So we'll see if one of those other numbers ends up being the record setter next season. That's it. Thanks for playing. Again, I hope you had a great winter season. I sure did. Can't wait to get back out there later this year. Until then, see you on the golf course, Powderhounds. It's 4 o'clock. Time to catch the last chair. Thank you for listening. Have a comment, question, or correction? Email me at powderhoundskitrivia at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at powderhoundskis. Better yet, subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast Manager, Verbal, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just type Powderhounds Podcast. Until next time, see you on the slopes, Powderhounds. Wanna be the first you No time for pondering to the ends of the earth, would you follow me? There's a